I'll do my best to ensure that's the case. Look, I want you to imagine you're having a house built, or renovated, built, whichever. Now, to do that, to reach, reach, doesn't really work in Australia because most of the houses here are one story. Back in the UK, the only people that live in one story houses are the elderly. Because you can't get up steps. So you wouldn't you would be seen dead in a one-story house. Because people associate that with Zimmer frames. And, that, and if you've got a Zimmer frame, please don't be offended. Okay? They're cool, I'm sure. And, and so, look, you have a house built, and you've got scaffolding so you can reach the second level. Okay? Generally. Not even the roof. Now, how, what would you think? You witnessed the house being built... And uh, you went away for a couple of years, you've come back, and the house is complete, but the scaffolding's still up. It's an issue, isn't it? Why hasn't the scaffolding gone down? Worse still, what would, you, what would you think if you found, we'll have the next slide please Rachel, when only have the scaffolding been left up and the house complete, that the occupants are now using the scaffolding as a part of their lifestyle. They work in the office there, they have dinner parties on the scaffolding. That is bizarre, isn't it? In fact, you can argue it's not only bizarre, it's ludicrous. Not only ludicrous, it's potentially hazardous. You have a dinner party on a scaffolding, one of you's going to fall off. Okay? And so, what do I tell you about? Because if you're that little fellow there scratching your head thinking, who has James got to speak here? I mean, what's this got to do with Galatians? What has that got to do with Galatians? Does anybody, does anybody want to hazard a guess? What has that got to do with Galatians? I want you to imagine that the law is the scaffold. The law, the Decalogue, the whole of the Mosaic law system, which really is the whole Old Testament, because the rest of the Old Testament really just elaborates on that. I want you to imagine the law as the scaffolding, as the building block to the house. And once the house is built, you live in the house. Once the house is complete, you occupy the house. I'll leave that one with you. That's just really an introduction both to Galatians as a whole and to what we're looking at together this morning. So, our heading is being perfected by the Spirit. Why do you... Uh, James gave me that heading, okay? So it's his fault. Um, but it's a good heading, okay? Why is the focus of Galatians in being perfected by the Spirit because I want to suggest and go back to my illustration that that's a contrast ok James has chosen this as a title that we've been perfected by the Spirit because it's a contrast to what? thank you that the Church of Christ the people of God are perfected for Jesus by the Spirit not by law it's a quintessential message of Galatians. I want to look at that with you this morning, okay? Christ crucified. I've got three headings. I think you've got my headings there. There you go. Number one, Christ. I had no idea when I started, so I have no idea when I'll finish. 
I think I've got about 20 minutes, 20-25 minutes. First heading, Christ crucified. Christ crucified. You foolish Galatians. Okay, I mean that is strong talk. I mean if I came up to one of you, Phil, you know, grabbed you by the scruff of your neck and said, you foolish Aussie. I mean, that's not a term of endearment, is it? Well, maybe it is. Actually, that is a term of endearment in Australia. So they tell me. Seriously, I'm still getting used to that. But apparently if someone abuses you verbally, it means he likes you. Okay? So let me try that on Phil. You foolish Aussie. Did you feel closer to me there? There you go, it works. Okay, but but in Galatia, it was not a term of endearment. This was serious. These two apostles, the greatest apostles. Hey, look, the apostles had ranks. And we have to get used to the fact that life has ranks. You have leaders, you have officers. Do you, I'm sure you're aware of this, that the the Trinity has a functional rank system. You understand that, don't you? That the Son functionally, functionally submits to the leadership of the Father. It's why a structure in family, right down to workplaces, to government, have these structures of hierarchy. It comes from within the very person of God. Hey, so don't, hey, we want to abolish an authority and structures of leadership team. You try and have a church when everybody's a leader. I don't know, maybe we have that here, I'm sure you don't. Okay, hey, we have structures. And so here's the thing, you've got the two greatest leaders of the church. Peter, okay, the greatest leader of the church, has set, set up by Jesus. He's now trans, uh, superseded by Paul. If you notice that in the book of Acts, okay, that, that, that when Paul comes on the scene, Peter's, Peter's uh, uh, not relevance, but Peter's... Uh, uh, leadership as the prominent one somewhat diminishes. So you've got two greatest leaders and they are mad with each other. Or rather, one of them is mad with the other. Paul is mad with Peter. Do you remember? You've done this a couple of weeks ago. Why is he so mad with Peter? Does anyone remember? Pardon? Well, that's the issue in Galatia. You're right. But he's actually mad with Peter because Peter is not eating with Gentiles. He used to, but he stopped. And that's, that, that may not sound like a big deal, but hey, if you don't turn up to dinner, you know, you're saying something, aren't you? You're saying something. Okay? But Peter not turning up to dinner, he's saying something very, very Jewish. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying this is not because of the K? O S? This is not kosher. I'm a Jew. This is not kosher. I cannot do this. And therefore he's suggesting that within Christianity the Mosaic law still operates and as such he can no longer eat with these people. Now, now he didn't say any of that but the actions of not turning up the dinner 
in a Gentile context, is suggesting that you, the Gentile, are doing something that is less than that which is expected by God. See what's going on. And so, so Paul is mad with Peter, and now he turns his wrath from Peter to the Galatians. And look at him. You foolish Galatians! I mean, you, you can, I mean Paul, Peter got it badly, they're getting it just as strongly. And then he continues, who has bewitched you? So, strong stuff again. He wants to know how the, the structure of the teaching that they have received about grace and Jesus Christ, how that has been subverted to such an incredible degree that, that so for Peter, he's, he's no longer, he can be Gentiles because he's breaking culture. But for the Galatians, they're doing something far worse. Listen to this. Listen to this. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Let me slow down a bit uh, and just explain what, what Paul's point is here. He preached Jesus Christ crucified to them. In fact, Paul preaches Jesus Christ crucified everywhere he goes. I remember when I was at Bible college, uh, back in Wales, in the UK, and so I'd be preaching each Sunday at a different church. And I was studying theology, which takes a lot of time. I had a Monday job to try and pay for my fees. I used to drive around the country in a lorry. You know, so, so you, know, you don't have a lot of time to be studying theology, writing essays, working part-time, and running a home, running a family, travelling to uni, Bible college. And so, so, so as a preacher, I tended to take my favourite sermon to every church I preached at. <laughs> and so every church I'd turn up with, my, with the same sermon to a different church each Sunday it was great I didn't have to prepare in fact by the end of it my wife would preach sermons for me okay it was a one trick pony do you know Paul is a one trick preacher he's only got one sermon wherever he preaches what is it what's Paul's only sermon wherever he preaches Christ crucified. Here's what he says to the Corinthians. Okay, I resort to know nothing with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When you look at Paul, his, his entire ministry is anchored in this one reality of Jesus, is that it's Him crucified. And here's one reality. Every Christian song, not every Christian song, but the majority of what we sing, the majority of what we hear, the thing that how often you do this. It should be done often, uh, you know, weekly, daily, as often as, as we can. And I love the fact that there's a, there's a cross, an emblem of a cross here, because it demonstrates this one reality of our faith that central to it is the cross of Jesus crucified. And but Paul wants them to know this. He's reminding them, look, look, you're foolish. You completely subverted the truth. Didn't I tell you when I established and proclaimed the gospel? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I explain to you? Didn't I portray to you? Didn't I elaborate? Didn't I make it clear that Christ was crucified? That Christ was crucified. 
Why? Why is he taking it out on them and, and, and accusing them of forgetting Christ crucified? Why? I guess the question I'm asking is what is so special about the cross and how does it relate to this problem in Galatia? What is so special about the cross that he's so angry with them and he's angry because here's his point. He goes, look, didn't I tell you about the cross? So, so the question we've got to ask ourselves, what has the cross got to do with the problem in Galatia? What has the cross got to do with the problem in Galatia? Have a guess. If you're following me still. What has the cross got to do here? It is in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law Christ died for nothing. What has the cross got to do with the problem in Galatia? Is if, he, if, he could get, if he really could get right with God by the law then what a waste of space what a waste of time what a waste of a life is the cross. Can you see the point? His point is, hey, you want to go and do law stuff, do you? If the law really was that good, says Paul, do you really think God would have sent his son to die on the cross for you? You've got to look in like that. If the law really worked, why would God go to the lengths of sending his son to die on a cross? Why would he do that? It's an absurd reality. And that's what he's trying to tell me. What is the matter with you? Would God send his son to his death if the law worked? No, look, if righteousness could be got, if you really could be made right through the law, you would not need anything else. Let me ask you this. If, if, I, had a, if, I, have, if I have a car, doesn't we work? We're always changing our cars, aren't we? Uh, I, thought, yeah, uh, I was going to suggest a car. Look, if I have a car that serves my purposes well, I'd be a fool to trade it in to get another one that was inferior. And so Paul's point is this. Look, if righteousness could be gained to the law, Christ died for nothing. Romans 3.21. Let me take you to Romans. And he, he elaborates to Romans the issue. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law. Now, I've had a look. The Greek text is my own. Okay? I'm not canonizing the words of Montez. That's why they're a different color. Okay? And they're in square brackets. And if you've studied, if you've done any studying, you'll know that the square brackets are allowed within within a quote as added information okay so this is not canonical the green stuff right but it's my explanation look now if a righteousness from, uh, from God but now a righteousness from God apart from law because man is not justified by observing the law Galatians the one we just looked at has been made known to which the law and the prophets prophets testify in other words the law itself saw itself as something that would become obsolete superseded Okay, where am I? Verse 24. Okay, but, uh, 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 but has been known, made known through the prophets, and are justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, Christ is pivotal to it. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. It's a word otherwise translated propitiation. It, makes, it means it makes the wrath of God cease. What Paul is saying to the Romans, and this is his point in Galatia, is that with the coming of Jesus, we've been introduced to a way in which we can finally and properly and ultimately and perfectly make right with God. And that is through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. So here's the point in Galatia. Paul is saying, look, I preach that to you. When I came to you, I explained to you as clearly as I could that, that you don't want Judaism. The Jews themselves, if they, had, if they knew anything, wouldn't want Judaism. Because it was always a temporary measure. It was a scaffolding in the building of a house. What you really want is a house. And I'm telling you that the death of Jesus Christ gives you the house. It makes you right with God. You just need him. I told you all that, and now I've come back. What are you doing? You're playing, and you're living, and you're having dinner on scaffolding. That's not a joke. It's dangerous. And for, a, for these believers to be going from trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus into trusting now the things of the, that the law stipulates... It's not a joke, it's lethal. Lethal. Because you can't have Christ and salvation by faith and Moses, salvation by law. You can't have them both. They don't mix together. Christ crucified. Look, we'll, we'll miss out the, the flag illustration. I don't, need to, I don't need to do that. Except just to explain this. Revelation 5.9 the thing about the cross, think about Jesus' death, it's something that goes on. In Revelation, when we're talking of heaven in the future, you notice there that we're singing about it. You were slain with your blood, you purchased men for God. Hey, the cross has got to forever remain central to the walk of faith. That's the first application of our heading. But the cross and its beautiful... I said I wasn't going to do that. It's beautiful how that cross is so central. We're pulling up in, the, in a sports hall at the church that I pastor. Every Sunday morning we get one out, we wheel it there, and we'll put it there. Because if there's one thing I want people to remember is that our faith is anchored in the cross. And Christian, here's the point. I know we all believe it's anchored in the cross. We've even been doing communion. But do we live like it is? Does that conduct betray people who are trying to please Moses or is our conduct betraying the fact that we're trying to please Jesus and there's a difference you see, there's a key difference there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a living our lives in such a way whereby we are conditioned that it's only by meeting certain criteria do we please God and there's a difference between that and living by the cross, which is, I never meet the criteria of God. And I live by grace. And can you see the difference? There's a key difference there. One leads to a sense, let me ask you, 
with what sense did, you, did we come to church this morning in the sense that hey, I have a right to be here I read the Bible this week I prayed on the way to church I even put my best suit on not me, it's the worst suit okay, okay. Is, that, is that our mindset? let me ask you, when the communion came round did I think instinctively I've had a pretty good Christian week this week I'll take the wine we're doing Moses we're doing Moses we're playing a scaffolding because when that blood when that, it's not transubstantiation so it's not blood, it's wine when that wine and when that bread came round my response should never be what kind of week have I had it must always be what a terrible 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 person I am that's what you, this is a mirror you realize this don't you when this comes round it's a mirror and he reveals not how good I've been this week because if he does boy you're condemned you're lost in your sins he reveals how terrible I am how I've fallen short of the standard of God this past week over and over and over and over and it leads you to casting yourself on Jesus' mercy because of the cross that's what it's meant to do that's what it's meant to betray that's the impression you've got to take that away if we take anything else away from that we've lost its meaning we profane the most sacred sacrament of the church Christian next time the communion cup comes towards you feel very bad be honest with yourself and in your heart come afresh to repentance and faith I'm going to move on uh, to my second point please Rachel thank you faith received faith received Verse 2, verse 2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? And by that he means the benefit that comes from Jesus. You know, it's what makes us children of God. Did you receive the benefits of being, being God's elect people, forgiven, included in the household of God? That's what he's saying. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard. It's, 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 it's a rhetorical thing. This is a lot of sense. Okay, you want to go back to, you want to, Moses, let me ask you, did, were you included into the church of Jesus Christ? Was your faith anchored in the Spirit of God, or was it because you did Moses well? And the obvious answer is they didn't do Moses well, did they? They were Gentiles. They're outside the covenant. And so, so it's a rhetorical question. The point he's trying to get across to this is reminding them, look, hey, when I came to you, I did not preach Moses to you. I didn't get out the Decalogue. Okay? And start preaching. And let me just, you know, I, I, I don't know if James deals with this. You might think I'm a right heretic now. I'll never invite me back. Okay? But... We don't preach the Decalogue. The, de- the Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. We don't preach the Ten Commandments to convert people. 
I see this on YouTube all the time. Oh, this is how you convert somebody. You give them the Ten Commandments, then they feel really bad, and then you give them Jesus. No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay? We don't preach the Ten Commandments either to make people feel bad or even to tell them how to live the Christian life. Now you're getting really worried, aren't you? If he doesn't preach the Ten Commandments to tell people how to live the Christian life, what does he preach? What do I preach? Yes, thank you, I preach Jesus Christ. And you see, and so when, I'm, when we're trying to convert people, we don't give them a list of commandments that they haven't obeyed as, as a catalyst to, to convert them. No. You know what we do? We present Jesus to them. Because he's the living embodiment of not just the Ten Commandments, like all of God's commandments can be, can be catalogued, crystallized in Ten Commandments. Come on. We preach Jesus. We, we present Jesus to people. We present what a wonderful character he is, how perfect he lived, what he was like around people, how he conducted himself with people who fell short of God's standard. That's what we do. We preach the wonder of Jesus. And that doesn't drive people to Jesus because they're, they're falling short of his commands. It draws people to Jesus. That's how we win people. We don't beat them with law. We win them with Jesus. The best evangelism you can do is to preach Jesus to your friend. The next time you open your Bible in evangelism, do not turn to the law. Turn to the Gospel of John and say, can I read this Gospel with you and take them through John? Chapter by chapter. What did John write that gospel? He tells us at the end. He wrote it so that people would believe in Jesus. Okay? You want to lead someone to Jesus? Give them Jesus. And so here they are. So here they are. They're observed. He's reminding them they never received salvation through the law. So why are they doing it now? Salvation for the Gentile Galatians was by faith. Let me say something about faith. Salvation is by faith. We believe in Jesus and we receive forgiveness. Okay? We can't do what he expects of us, so we need his cross. But the thing about faith, if we're not careful, faith can become a work of its own. So, why do you believe in Jesus? I'm sorry, why, why are you a Christian? Because I believe in Jesus. And before you know it, your faith has become a work. And, and it's something we have to be careful that even, even in emphasising that salvation is by faith, we have to be sure that we don't make faith a work. Here's what Ephesians 2 says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Hey, do you believe in Jesus? Do you really believe in Jesus? That's because Jesus gave you the faith to believe in him. Okay? It's like, you know, when you had little kids, you can remember, and they would buy, we just said mods there, and they would buy mom a gift. Okay? Where did they get the money from? You. You gave them the money to buy you a gift. Where did you get your faith from? 
the God who wants you to exercise faith in him. He gives you the faith that you exercise in him. And so he makes the whole thing a work of grace. Here's what, what a commentator says, commenting on, on Galatians and this gift of faith. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit to the believer is the cause of faith. Okay? It's what leads to faith. But the conscious experience of his coming is the consequence of faith. So, faith comes because of the Spirit, and because of that we experience the wonder of God's salvation. Faith has its beginning in the Spirit, and has its continuance in the Spirit. There's never any room for merit. Let me keep moving through these verses. Verse 6, Paul explains, Consider Abraham... He believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. You have to understand uh, the chronology of the Bible. Let me ask you, who's first, Moses or Abraham? Abraham. Okay. That chronology is important. Because who brought us the law? Moses. Who came before Moses? Abraham. Was Abraham made right with God? Yes he was. He was made right with God. Did he have the law to make him right with God? The law hasn't even been given. Because your Paul is saying, he wants to show them, hey look, I preached you Jesus without Moses, and I said you're right with God, and now you're going to Moses. Hey, let me explain to you. The very forefather of the Jewish nation came to a righteousness with God, justification, one with God, peace with God, ever before the law was given. So what does that tell you about the law and righteousness? You don't need the law to be righteous with God. How was Abraham made right with God? Abraham was right, made right God, with God because he believed. And we've already just said, where did he get that faith from to believe? God's Spirit. And so his fourth point is that the Gospel existed in kernel form at the very beginnings of the Jewish Bible. God gave them a window into what salvation would ultimately come by, would come by faith. Hundreds of years later, when the Mosaic system came into being, it was not the means to salvation, it was the scaffolding that was a part of the construction that led finally to God's system of salvation by faith. Abraham demonstrates it, it's worked out finally in Jesus. Verse 7, understand then, those who believe are children of Abraham. Here's, here's what every Jew would say, I'm a son of Abraham. Remember when Jesus said to them, you know, you're liars, your father is the devil? And they're like, no he's not. We are sons of Abraham. And what does Jesus say to them, to a Jew? This is, if you're a Jew, please forgive me. You know, what does he say to them? You are not. Your father is not Abraham. You know, we know what Jesus was saying to the Jews. He was saying, you're not a Jew. You're not a Jew. Because I don't care where you've been born. I don't care what your surname is. I don't care what country it was. You're not a Jew. Because, and Paul deals with this in Romans, you're not a Jew in God's sight by being born a Jew. You're only a Jew in God's sight if faith. By faith. Faith. Circumcision of heart, Paul deals with it in Romans 9 to 11. It's faith in Jesus that makes you 
An authentic Jew before God. Someone who is God's chosen people. God's chosen elect people. Understand then, it's those who, are, who believe that are the children of God. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw what it's saying is, is God always was going to save people through faith through the cross, and it demonstrates it in Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is the first, it's the kernel. If look, we say Genesis 3, is it 14? Uh, the proto-evangelium, when he, when he says that the devil will heal, bruise his heel, but that, but that Christ would, uh, would uh, crush him. We call that the proto-evangelium. But here's the second one. This is the second revelation of the gospel, okay? Is that this, that God, verse 8, God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. It was always there. Verse 10, here's the crunch of it. All, and here's what, let me, before verse 10, let me, give, let me give you this. You've got to be asking yourself, what was it about the law? Why didn't that law covenant system, which came in the middle of, of, of biblical history, you had Abraham, you had the Mosaic law, you had the new covenant of grace, what is it about the law system that made it not work? What was wrong with it? And I'm suggesting there's something wrong with it. Paul is suggesting something wrong with it. God set up this system, the Mosaic system, but what is the issue? Why doesn't it save you? Why doesn't it make you righteous? What is wrong with it? Does anybody know what is wrong with the Mosaic law that it doesn't work? Does anybody know? Paul, let, I'll let Paul tell us this in verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. That's what's wrong with it. And here's why. For it is written, okay, Curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What is wrong with the law? It is because it's an issue. If you get if you buy into the law system, there's a major issue. You don't buy into some of the laws. How many of the laws do you buy into? The whole thing. It's the law is not piecemeal. It's a unit. And if you live under the Mosaic legal system, the only way you can get right with God is by fully obeying the law. That's it for you. He said, okay, he sent the Galatians. Okay then. Oh, you want to do option B. Option A is grace, salvation. You want to do option B, law and Moses. Okay then. We'll do option B. Have you ever broken a commandment? You haven't. You're out. And there's no redemption. And you do realise this, don't you? You know the bulls of blood and goats under the Mosaic Covenant never made, never propitiated sin for a single member of the Jewish race. Do we understand that? It's Hebrews 10. There was that not a single goat, not a single lamb ever atoned for sins. I haven't got time to read it. Go home and read it. It's Hebrews 10. Paul says there clearly, not a single goat, not a single lamb, not a single bull, not a single pigeon ever 
atoned for sin. So the Mosaic Covenant is a twofold issue. A, the only way would make you, he could make you righteous with God. He could. It worked. Of course it worked. God invented it. But it only worked if you kept every single stipulation forever. To fail one stipulation, there wasn't any redemption. There was no way back in. And, and the blood of the bulls and goats did not truly let you back in the race. You know if you play those little games, our kids play them, they play them under the night, you know, when you've got multiple kids in a game, musical chairs, okay, when the music stops, I think you have to sit on the chair, don't you? Uh, and then if you miss out on the chair, you're out. And what's your little boy doing? Oh, can I go back in? You know, it was a mistake, can I have a second chance? No! On the Moses, you can be once and you're out. And, and the sacrificial system didn't didn't atone for your sin and let you back in. It was just a temporary measure. The sacrificial system worked on one merit and one merit alone in allowing the Jewish people to continue in the Mosaic Covenant is that it was I'm gonna I'm gonna draw it for you. All those all those all those bloods, all the blood of all those goats and lambs was worked in one sense, in one sense only, because they were all, they were that. What have I just drawn? Can you see it? Yes! All that the bloods and goats ever did, as Hebrews 10 explains, is point to Jesus' death. And any redemption that came in the Old Covenant Salvation came in the Old Covenant. Salvation came under the Mosaic Covenant. Not through the Mosaic Covenant. Through Jesus Christ crucified. Because they pointed to Him. It's almost as though every Jew who was truly converted wasn't converted and forgiven through bulls and goats. They were forgiven and converted through Jesus Christ. It's a bit like money. I've lost my wallet. Don't tell anybody it's in the car. Okay, you know that note? That note is not worth any money. You know that, don't you? You know that those notes you had are not worth a thing. Do you really think a hundred dollar note is actually worth a hundred dollars? It's a piece of paper. Plastic paper. Where's the value of it? Where's the value of the hundred dollar note? In the gold reserves of the bank. All that the hundred dollar note does when you use it in exchange it points to the gold reserve. All that the bulls and goats ever did was to point to the blood of Jesus. And it's in that sense that God accepted them. That Jesus would pay the gold. That the gold was there. That they were drawing upon it. Just like when you give the hundred dollar bill to me after the service, that's the charge by the way, per person. Okay? When you give me the hundred dollar bill, it's pointing to a real value of wealth held somewhere else. There's no value in itself, and there wasn't any value in the, in the blood of bulls and goats. Uh, goats. Uh, goats. Galatians 5.3 Again I declare to everyone who lets himself be circumcised he is obliged to obey the whole law. So the problem in Galatia was that these Judaizers that came from Jerusalem were telling these Gentiles you're not a real Christian because you're not doing Moses. And if you want to do Moses and you're a man what is 
what is the very first thing you have to do? Circumcision. And Paul comes along and says, says look, everyone who has uh, uh, declared that every man who lets himself be circumcised is obliged to obey the whole law. His point is this, if you go and get circumcised, you have now given up the grace covenant and you've, you've bought into the Mosaic covenant and you better be 100% perfect otherwise you're condemned that's why he's mad that's why he's mad look I was just going to show you this illustration I don't think it's really necessary now I'll run through it quickly a couple of guys got to get it there's a volcano next slide please they've got to get through this molten uh, river of a, of a molten uh, whatever they are my mind's not working just now sorry look there'd be no advantage if one person got that far across in the next slide please and the other person got that far across, you'd both be dead. That was the issue of the Mosaic Covenant. Number three, number three, and I'm going to finish soon, within the next couple, within five minutes, I promise you. Perseverance assured. Verse five. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe? The answer is obviously it's because they believe. And so he just wants them to know, here's the thing, this is where we get wrong as Christians often. We all agree that we come to faith, we come to God through faith, but then we need a bit of Moses to help us. That's the issue in Galatia. They'd already come to faith, so they, it's not a case of you've got to, you've got to come to faith, you've got to, you know, you've got to get salvation through Moses. No, they've already got salvation. The issue for them is, is how do you live the Christian life? Then you need a bit of Moses, and that's where we're more in danger. We're less in danger of having Moses and law to become a Christian. We're more in danger, like the Galatians, of having Moses and law to continue in Christianity. Can you see? And that's a much more subtle danger, because now I'm saying, yes, you believe in Jesus, welcome to the church. Okay, and now, here's a Tedekalog, you go and keep those. Here's another set of laws, you do those. Here's another set of laws, you do those. And that's the danger, is that having come in, we can inherit the old law. And Paul is reminding them, he's saying, look, you never be, look, after beginning with the Spirit, why are you going to human effort? Having started with the Spirit, why are you turning to works? And I need to finish, so I'll just close off with this. Christian, the issue in Galatia was, they came to salvation through faith, but then turned to Moses in order to live a pleasing, God, pleasing life to God. And that's what was going to condemn them. The danger for us is, having come to Jesus through faith, as we all have, I'm sure, we mustn't revert to the law. Now, the obvious one is the Mosaic law. Having come to faith in Jesus, we can now be trying to scrupulously keep Moses' law, which is impossible. And look, particularly back in the UK, a lot of churches do that. Right down to the Sabbath. Seriously. A lot of churches have half of Moses in their new covenant grace relationship with Jesus. Seriously. I see less in Australia, so I think it's less of an issue here. But let me just state the fact, you do not live by Moses. But let me tell you, ask you, what did Jesus say when he left his the seven on the mount, he preached to them for hours on end, it seems, and then he says, the wise man who builds his house on a rock is the man who does what? 
who obeys who? Jesus. And that was a contrast to who? It was a contrast to Moses. When Jesus left his disciples, what was his last will and commandment? Go and make disciples of all nations. This is the most important thing Jesus said. Before you die are your most important words. The most important thing Jesus said to his disciples before he left them is this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything Moses commanded you. You read that before? What does he actually say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He makes a distinction between himself and Moses, which means, I'm sure James does this, we're doing it, that what moulds you into the shape that you're meant to be, what tells you how to live the good Christian life, what shows you what kind of conduct God expects of you, what shows you how you should deal with your life tomorrow morning when you face that situation, is not Moses! What is it? It's Jesus. Do you want to know how to be perfect? Read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. You want to know what God expects of you? Look at the life of Jesus. You want to know how to make wise decisions? Consider what Jesus says. You want to know how to conduct yourself tomorrow morning in that situation? Look at what Jesus says. Look at Jesus. Read Jesus. See Jesus. Breathe Jesus. Speak Jesus. Be taken up with Jesus. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's why Paul says the only sermon he knew, the only sermon he ever preached, was Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Amen. I'm sorry for taking up so much of your time. God bless you.